Pastor Bill will now grace us with his message for today. Bill. You guys need to calm down. <laughs> My question for you this morning is how in the world can you sing leaning on the everlasting light arms without doing a little of this? <laughs> or were we trying to look real staid today? This morning I'm going to talk about Moses. And sometimes my jokes are inappropriate, but I don't think this one is, okay? Jewish fellow tells me the joke about a fellow named Moshe, which is actually Moses' real name, Moshe. Goes to the temple every Saturday and prays to win the lottery. <laughs> After two years, he's praying and God said, Moshe, meet me halfway. Buy a ticket. <laughs> That's a little bit about the story of Moses. There's a, there's a little sound of the same kind of thing. And if you're looking in the Bible, we're going to get to the Scripture in a minute. Verse 1-8 of Exodus really changes the game for the people, the children of Israel. And what it says there is that the, the old government is gone and the new has come. Anybody recognize that here in Mexico? <laughs> So what had happened there was it says the family had come down and we're going to do a little history about that. And you, you read that a while ago. What happens, do you remember the brother sold off Joseph? And he goes off down to Egypt and things begin to happen. He, he tells about dreams and explains what the dreams are about. And all of a sudden he finds himself right under the Pharaoh and he's in charge of everything a foreigner. And there he is. And his brothers come looking for some grain. And he finally reveals to them who he is. And the Bible, it's a great story. I hope you go home and read it because he sends everybody out of the room but his brothers. And the sound of wailing when Joseph tells his brothers who he is. He's been gone so long. And he finally says, it's not your fault. God sent me here to take care of you. I hope that tells you kind of where I'm headed today. But then we get to that Scripture in Exodus 1.8. Joseph, who had been there, who had been so great, that had given the children of Israel such favor, all of a sudden, verse 8 says, a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. The old deal was gone. The favor that the children of Israel had had for years and years and years was gone. So then we get to Exodus 1.15 and we start to begin the story of Moses. Now you've got to remember we're almost 400 years into this deal where the children of Israel had been favored and all of a sudden it changed and they became slaves. So now we get to the story of Moses in Exodus 1.15 and we find out the beginning of that story is the king of Egypt who was the Pharaoh told these two ladies, I love their names. If you get your name in the Bible, you're special. Shipra and Puah. Write that down. That's on the test when you get to heaven. God's going to say, who are the two midwives in Egypt? You better know. That's their names. They were the midwives and they were delivering the babies of all these Hebrew women. And Pharaoh goes to these two women who were the OB specialists 
and says, here's what I want you to do. Anytime there's a baby girl, you let her live. But if it's a baby boy, no. Do not let that boy live. And the Bible says that these two ladies feared God more than they did the king of Egypt. And they did not do that. And he went to them and asked them, why are there so many baby boys? And they said, these ladies are so vigorous, by the time we get there, they've already delivered those little boys. Well, that wasn't necessarily true, but it worked. So finally, Pharaoh caught on. And the story goes on that a Levite man and a Levite woman, they got married and she bore him a son. And she hid that little boy for three months. You know the story. She goes and makes this basket out of papyrus and she plasters it with bitumen and pitch. She puts him in it and places him among the reeds. So just like a bunch of us, he started out as a basket case. <laughs> Some of us have not recovered. It's healthy to remember these things that there's a little humor in the Bible. So what happened was, every there's the little baby right there, and they're taking care of him. But one day, as his sister's watching, keeping an eye on him, this is the way you do that. <laughs> keeping an eye on the baby boy. Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the Nile to take a bath. And as she's there, she hears this baby. She has the baby brought to her. And she recognizes him as one of the Hebrews. But she's thinking, I'm going to take him for mine. Well, the sister's right there. And sister comes roaring up and says, Oh, would you like somebody to nurse this child? And she said, Good idea. So she goes home and gets mom. And so as he's growing up, Moses' mother is the one who is taking care of him. So Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses. Like I said, Moshe. It means I drew him out of water. So Moses grows up as a prince of Egypt. You've all seen the cartoon version of that, right? You haven't. Okay. Me either. Around the age of 40, Moses, being such a, a prince of Egypt, sees one of his fellow Hebrews, he's figured it out by now, is being abused by one of the Egyptian slave masters. And he's had all he's had. I call that the Popeye disease. I've had all I can stand and I can't stand no more. He goes and kills this guy and buries him in the sand. Well, even the Hebrews, everybody knew it. So the word gets to Pharaoh and Pharaoh has a desire to kill Moses to get rid of him. Moses has figured this out so he takes off. And as he goes, at the age of 40, he takes off and goes to a place called Midian. There he meets a woman named Zipporah. She bears him a son named Gershom. And that's where the story starts today. But I've got to get, show you my map. Is that okay? Is everybody good with my map? I've got to come over here. I take this map with me everywhere I go. It's right here. I've got to roll it out for you. Over here is Egypt. You got it? You got to use your imagination. Over here is Egypt. Red Sea's right here. 
got it in your head? So he takes off and he goes across over here and he goes up over the Red Sea and he's headed down to this place called Midian, which is down here. You see that clearly. I see, I see that in your face. But on the way is this place called Mount Horeb or the mountain of God on the way. See, Egypt, see, Mount Horeb. On the way is Mount Horeb. Do you get the picture of how, as the story develops that we're not going to get to today, that Moses is already starting to learn what he needs to know to get these people out of Egypt? The mountain where he gets the Ten Commandments is right there. He goes by it. He goes by it. And he returns to it. So today what we find in the Scripture... For 40 years, he's been following this flock. A lot of time to think, don't you think? There he is with the sheep, and he's all of a sudden come back to this mountain again. He's not unfamiliar with it. He's come back again. There's something about that mountain that attracts him. And he brings the flock, and that's the story for today. If we can have the Scripture, I'm going to have to read it with you. I brought the wrong Bible today. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet he was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great side and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord just saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. God was responding to His people. So there you are. Moses sees this sight. It's real important for us to understand that one of the things it says, when Moses turned aside. If you mark stuff in your Bible, why don't you do that right there? When when Moses turned aside, God attends to us when we stop what we're doing and turns aside and gives Him the time that we need to give Him. That is when He speaks to us. That is when he says to us, boy, do I have something I want you to do. Then he tells Moses, remove your sandals for your, for your feet. The places where you're standing is holy ground. You ever been on holy ground in your life? I can tell you from watching people and being a people that God is the one who makes holy ground. He makes it when and where he wants you to see it and feel it and know it. What he told Moses was, take your sandals off. I want you to be as connected to holy ground as you could possibly be. 
So here's what I've got for you today. One of the things. You can be anywhere around this lake today. And all of a sudden God is going to make holy ground for you. And what are you going to do about that? Are you just going to keep doing what you're doing? Are you going to stop and let God do something really unique in you and through you? So Moses is there and God says to him, basically, I'm going to send you back to Egypt to bring out my people. And Moses has five excuses. Not that anybody in here knows anything about excuses. I can recall as a child, my mother saying, son, did you eat cookies? No, ma'am. I was already done. I mean, you know, here's vanilla wafers all over me. So I, I relate a lot to Moses. He starts out by responding to God who said, I'm sending you down to bring out my children. He said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? You ever ask that question? When you're confronted with doing something, who am I? We've got two options here. One of them is, you know, you picked the right guy. The other one is, not so fast. I know who I am. I'm just this little person. But God seems to ignore the fact that there are days that we think we're little and insignificant. This, this whole question seems to fit right into the ploy of the one that is called the devil, Satan, and the great liar does for us. He wants us to believe we cannot do it. He wants us to believe that we're small. Remember growing up that the old thing about children are to be seen and not heard? We haven't grown out of that yet, have we? And I look at kids today and I thought, what happened to that? Somebody forgot to tell them. (laughs) So he says, who am I? It's one of the large questions that you and I, no matter how old we are, ask. We ask that question, who am I? And we've got to figure that out. And the question really becomes powerful when the Almighty God is the one that says to us, I chose you. Because what we want to do is this. Who's he talking to? So, we accept easily how diminished and how small and how unaccomplished and how unworthy we are. And as for Moses, he decided he was disabled all on his own. Do we do that? I am disabled. God wants us to be available not disabled. He wants us to say whatever you want. Because Moses had goofed. He said, here I am. That's an opener. And God says, if you're here, I've got to have a talk with you. So, as we looked at that map a while ago, he, didn't know, he was so unaware that he was training to go back and lead a million people out of Egypt. It was over his old stomping grounds, right up to that mountain. Because Moses knew the mountain of God well. And so when Moses asked this, who am I? 
God says, don't you worry about it. Well, I made that part up. I will be with you. Now, when you go somewhere and God is not only ahead of you, but with you, how can you lose? How can you possibly not do what He's asked you to do? The victory's already there. Have you read at the end of the Bible? Anybody beside me go back and read the back of the book sometimes? I read the back of the book. God already knew how this thing was going to turn out with Moses. All Moses had to do was trust. So if God sends you on a mission, He's going to go with you and it doesn't get any better than that. So the second excuse Moses had was this. If I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you and they ask, what is His name? What shall I say to them? Do they know you? Do they know who you are? What your name is? And the Israelites who were there knew who God was. Moses is thinking he's going out on his own and he's the new guy. So he shows up like here. And when they ask what is his name, it's not a trick question. They really want to know. The Israelites are seeking to know who commissioned Moses to come do this thing. Because he'd been gone 40 years. So you ever thought that maybe what Moses was doing could have been a death sentence? What if that Pharaoh that wanted to kill him was still there and knew who he was? Dead man. Did these people that he came to know who he was 40 years ago? Somebody has commissioned him. He was an Egyptian when he left, wasn't he? Now he's a Hebrew and God has sent him. God has called him. How do we know that? And God said to him this, and you know this one. God said, I am who I am. Now that kind of confuses us, doesn't it? It's like, doesn't make a lot of sense. The simple answer is that God is a constant. God was a constant when He created. God is going to be a constant when this world is over. God does not change. God travels through time. There is no time and place for God. He's wherever He wants to be. He will be who He will be. They knew that name. And then he goes and the third response is, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say the Lord did not appear to you. You know, church folks do that sometimes. They're like, you don't, you don't believe like we do, do you? So I'm not going to believe you. Because we've been doing this thing for 400 years and now you show up and said that we got to go. But God gave Moses a demonstration. He says, I'm going to give you something to show them that I'm the one that sent you. He says, here's what I want you to do. What do you have in your hand? And he says, well, this is a staff. He said, lay it down. So Moses lays down the staff and it becomes a snake. I have a feeling that as you're hearing all this, you're hearing Charlton Heston's voice. (laughs) Am I wrong? So Charlton, a.k.a. Moses, lays down the staff and it becomes a snake. Now, I don't know how you respond to snakes, but I'm out of there. (laughs) Moses stood there and he says, now pick it up. So he grabbed it by the tail and becomes a staff again. He said, see, that's what you're going to go do. 
And he said, I've got one more for you. He says, take your hand and put it inside your cloak. He puts it in. He said, now bring it out. Uh Uh-oh. Leprosy all over that hand. Moses thinking, that's what you're doing for me. You're going to fix me with a leprous hand. And he said, put it back. He puts it back. And it's totally recovered. Wow. Do you relate to that at all? Probably not, right? But see what God can do in our life? He can take that snake and make it a staff. He can take our hands that are crippled, have disease, and make them well. That's what Moses is about to get to go show them. So the demonstration went on. Then he gets to to the fourth one. So he looks at God and he says, Oh my Lord, I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Some scholars that are biblical scholars think that he stuttered. I think he was from Texas. (laughs) I really relate here. Because sometimes when I'm listening to you people that are farther north than Texas, I really have to speed up my ears. Because <laughs> I know you're sitting there and you had to slow yours down, didn't you? <laughs> but the lesson he gets is, look, I've got all this stuff. I can't really talk well. Did you know that the fear of public speaking is right under the fear of death? Okay, those of you who are, have fear of speaking. Okay, so you admit. Isn't it weird that most of you would rather be the participant than the speaker at a funeral? I'll talk. You die, I'll come and talk at your funeral. So, there he is, it's like... He's trying to explain to God, if I keep at it, I'm going to wear him down. Have you ever tried to do that? Just wear God down? He does need our consultation, right? He needs us to explain how things are. And that was what Moses was doing. And he finally says, the fifth thing, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Now I got you on that one, didn't I? Because God has come to you more than once. And said, I've got something for you. There wasn't a burning bush. It could be Wayne Cook. Who says to me right out there, I need help. And I went, you're looking at me? It could be my wife who says that to me. It comes in various forms. It's that phone call. And you think it's such a big thing, I can't go do it. But someday, you're going to be the one that gets that call at 2 in the morning. What are you going to do? It's a real call. Are you going to get up and go? Or someone who says to you, I'd love for you to pray for me. And you say, I will. Won't you do it right then? Got that lesson one time. Had a fellow say, I want you to pray for me. And I said, I will. And he said, go ahead. I said, now? He said, yes. Do it. 
God has sent you to represent Him in this world. It comes in so many forms. So this group, somebody here, thought it was a really great idea to make me the pastor of discipleship, whatever that is. And that's what we keep talking about. So I think God has called me to help all of us understand what it means to be a disciple. To be a follower. To go deeper. As you know the stories, when Jesus came along and there were the brothers, they gave up their nets. Well, somewhere in the next few months, I want all of us to look at what our nets are and what we need to lay down to be a follower. So, I also want you to remember God does not send you alone. Wayne and I don't stand here without God helping us. I would be miserable if I did this by myself. So, I want to talk to you about evangelism. Evangelism is spreading the good news. How do we do that in an age where we're afraid to talk about it around people? How do we do that? Let's make that comfortable. So, there's a story in my life. Back when I was a chaplain in a hospital, that we had this little baby that was born premature, several months. And this baby was in neonatal intensive care for months. And mom and dad finally got to take him home. There was a call. I was the guy that was... When the emergency room went off, something happened, I got to go down there. I go down just in time to see one of my friends who was a medic come out of an ambulance with this little tiny baby doing this thing. We go into the room, and because that baby had been there so long, It was a Catholic hospital. There were nuns everywhere. Respiratory therapists everywhere. Neonatal intensive doctors. And I was there. They tried so hard to get that baby back. And it just didn't work. That mother grabbed the baby and said, I'm taking him home. Somebody grabbed the baby and put him right here. So why me? Thank God, some this pack of people opened up, the door opened up, and I had the good sense to start walking. I walked to the stairs walked down to the morgue and somebody had thought ahead of time and I had security there with me to put that little baby in there. Now what in the world could have gotten me ready for that moment that nobody else could have done? I practiced this at home and tried not to do this. God is ready to use you. 
in an astounding way. And it might be as simple as making a telephone call or praying for somebody when they ask you to. But He's ready. I'll stop. Let's pray. God, You call us even when we think we're insignificant, unable, because You know us better. You are the one that created us. Create in us a new spirit to know when You say our names that it's time to go. Amen.